0: Trigger Warning. This program contains discussions about emotional, physical, and sexual abuse as recounted by adult survivors from their childhood experiences. The purpose of this program is to promote healing among survivors of childhood sexual abuse, primarily with men. Some of these discussions, however, may trigger past trauma. This program also includes explicit language.
1: Really, why is because I was the boy who was abused, right? That was my identity. The shame becomes so crippling for a man that the thought of even voicing the words, it was just suicide. Right? And I remember just feeling like I was stark bollock naked in, in the middle of central London, and everyone is looking at me. That's literally how it felt.
2: Oh, to cry? The price.
3: Welcome to our first live program discussion focused on male survivors of childhood sexual abuse, sponsored by the men of Voices Beyond Assault.
0: As many of us here today, Lord and I are also survivors. Voices Beyond Assault recently started this men's division because we understand that men's voices are not always heard, and we want to amplify those voices, empower them to heal and provide resources that are needed.
3: We're so glad that all of you could join us today for this important discussion.
0: And now let us introduce our our guest today, Harry Power. Perry is an actor, writer, and co-founder of the nonprofit called We Rescue Kids. He is coming to us today uh, from his home in London, in the UK.
3: Hi, Perry. Hello. Perry's online messages of inspiration for abuse victims and survivors has resulted in 2.3 million likes and 125,000 followers on TikTok. His work has been featured on The Sun, MTV, Sky, and he's even done a TED Talk.
0: And Perry is also the author of this best-selling book appropriately titled, Breaking the Silence. Perry, welcome to Men of Voices Beyond Assault and thank you for joining us today.
1: Hello, Craig, hello, Lord.
0: Can you first uh, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So I born and raised in London. I grew up being an actor. Uh, and I think if there's any creatives here, definitely born in the world of being a creative whilst trying to battle the, the family opinions of not following that path, because um, it's not the best path to follow, right? It's not lucrative. So I, I grew up with those battles, but I, I still followed through, performing art school. And, uh, and I left home when I was 19 to kind of spread my own wings and fly. And that's been a long, widened journey to where I am now, really, with you guys on this, which is something I never thought I'd be doing in a million years.
3: Yeah, and we're so, so glad and excited that you're here with us, Perry. We're so glad that you have been able to come along your journey. But could you tell us a little bit about your story about why you're on this call today and what led you to inspire so many people?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, I was, in a nutshell, I was sexually abused by my step-granddad, and that happened for over a year and a half, roughly, and it stopped because my stepmom caught him doing it in the living room of my nan's house. So he would do it when there was family members around, right? But she just happened to catch it, and she took me home. She told my dad. My dad confronted me about, essentially, you know, what 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 was going on, and. I told him what was going on and then he said to me right okay well you're not going to go around there anymore and you're not going to go tell your friends at school you're not going to go tell your family you don't go tell your biological mum you're going to keep this to yourself okay keep this at home so that was really the start of a 12 year silence and uh, we'll cover this I'm sure at some points but on that 12 year silence I went through you know a, a path that ended up becoming self-sabotaging especially as a man and with all these internal conflicts, and um, what ended up happening was in two thousand and seventeen, my dad, who by that point he had become uh, a very high functioning alcoholic, we didn't know. I, I I knew because I used to help him fill up the vodka bottles with water, so no one would know. Um, but that alcoholism. Led to very negative behaviors, led to diabetes, led to high blood pressure. Then that led to him having a heart attack June the 1st, 2017. And he passed away and he was 48 years old. So he's a young soul. And uh, I went through obviously a grieving process and I ended up breaking my silence. And we're going to revisit things here, right? So some of these are a the bit of a nutshell, yeah. but I ended up breaking my silence and um, and me breaking that silence basically started a snowball effect, which led me to where I am now.
0: So what prompted you to break your silence in the first place?
1: Well, I remember I was at home with my dog. My girlfriend at the time was at work in a pub. And I was on YouTube and there was a new interview out with Ellen DeGeneres. And she was interviewing Lewis Howes. I don't think I've got his book here. Uh, no it's in the other room um she was interviewing lewis Howes, who had written a book called mask and masculinity and she said to him one like why have you written this book and he said well because i was sexually abused as a kid and that caused me to grow up in today's society as a man to wear these masks these emotional masks and uh in order for me to fit in in order for me to run away from the problem and he articulated it in a way that made me realize the path that I'd been going down. And it was just like a, like that, right? And I remember just sort of sitting there. And I was maybe a couple of years into personal development, you know, reading books, watching talks, expanding the awareness. And then when I was then aware of that journey that I'd taken, then I remember saying to myself, right, Perry now that you know what's happened dots are connecting here what are you going to do about it now are you going to continue walking forward right continue throughout life continuing to wear masks now that you know what you're doing as opposed to as before it's more of a subconscious thing that you were doing or are you going to start taking these masks off and i was like well i'm going to do that and then i waited for my girlfriend to to come home and i said right Abby, we're gonna go for a walk. Uh, you know, we end up going for a walk with our dog. And I remember that was that right there was when I said to her, I just blurted it out. I said to her about what happened. I don't really remember what I said. I remember how I felt. Right. And I remember just feeling like I was stark bollock naked in, a, in the middle of central London, and everyone is looking at me. That's literally how it felt, right? And that's what vulnerability is. And but she welcomed me with open arms, and that became there was three main. I say silences that I broke. Right, this I broke that silence three times. That like the first time nearly broke through. The second time I was breaking through, and then the third time, boom, I was out, sort of freedom. But that was a that was a main point. I really started it.
0: How did wearing those masks uh, adversely affect you before you broke your silence? I remember.
1: I remember when they really sort of. Came into effect so I grew up as we've said in London and I was going to school going to college and and I remember I I remember at the time I remember like knowing who I wanted to be and it was a guy who was popular it was a guy who slept with a bunch of girls right and it's basically loads of voids I wanted to be filled and I wanted to be basically be the popular kid I wanted to be the guy to get attention now but When I wanted that, I was actually in reality. I had like two or three main friends. I didn't, you know, didn't sort of venture out of that. I hadn't slept with any girls. I think I'd kissed one girl. You know, I'm talking, I'm 16 years old here, right? Which is completely fine. But at that point, that's not what I wanted. And really why is because I was the boy who was abused, right? That was my identity. And I hadn't really broken free from that because I hadn't confronted it. Then when I moved to a different location, which is a place called Bracknell in Berkshire, which is about half an hour out of London, I remember going to this new college. Now, before going there, I remember being like, right, nobody knows me in this area. Nobody knows me in this college. So do I want the same Perry to walk into these college doors or do I want a new Perry to walk into these college doors? And that really there was, I was like, okay, I'm I'm an actor. I'm going to create this character, Perry Power 2.0, right? He's a guy, he's like Stifler from American Pie. Okay, that's him. He doesn't care about anything, right? You know, and I started to play that part. And that was that. And that's when I ended up getting the girlfriend after a while, which ended up being the girl that I was dating. And, but what I was doing is every single decision that I had made in order to how I respond to quote unquote alpha males back then, right? how I respond to women, how I respond to the teachers about work or showing up late. i show up late I don't care, right? All, Were well, all different masks that I was wearing. Starting an American football team, getting it into the college league, right? As uh, Lewis House calls it, I think he calls it, the, the sports, uh, the, something to do with a sports mask, right? Because that's what men need to be. We need to be sports people, right? We need to do a contact sport because that confirms of how um, our masculinity and that used to be the the mask that was like the visi- the very visible point of me wearing those masks which reflected the, the reality that i was living and the pain i had
3: yeah perry thank you so much i think so many people can relate to this idea of wearing a mask and pretending to be someone that we are not struggling with something that we are really trying to fix and wanting to be vulnerable with people but just really struggling with that so i really appreciate you articulating that idea and I kind of wanted to ask you also like what what do you think are some of those other masks that you are wearing some of the I guess societal like expectations people would place especially on like males to be a certain way you know whether it's like like you said uncaring to sleep a lot of women uh to not care about things to be a contact sport. are there any other specific things that you felt like you really had to wear that you were just like this is not true to who I am
1: yeah yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you a very short story here to to sort of answer that i remember when i was younger when i was back living in london i was in school and i was in a park and i was cycling and this other kid cycled from this group over to me befriended me straight away you know talking about what school i was going to what class i was in the guy i thought you know i'd made a best friend the guy's a legend right but all of a sudden he says to me how much money have you got i said i've got a five pound note and he goes give it to me and i tell you what i hope I hope, you know, I've already forgiven given a guy. I hope that that guy, right, has transferred that into being a good human being because like he can get far in life and how he managed to really pull me in, then do a flipperoo and then be like, how much money you got? Five pound, give it to me. And I said, no. He goes, I know what school you go to. I know what class you go to. I know what time you finish. And I know what exit of the school you come out of, right? And I remember just like, so I gave him a five pound note. Then I cycled off, scared as hell, right? Because my dad, raised me he did his best attempt to raise me in an environment that he wasn't raised in so that he was raised in he wanted to do the opposite right he came from alcoholic parents he wanted me to come from a household that was loved which very much did that but it also ventured into world of suffocation and dad give me some freedom please right which is why i left home when i was 19 and so i basically i went home and my dad was in the kitchen and i said to my dad the dad i've just been mugged now my dad was a very typical London cockney geezer man you know hard man is and and I said to him dad I've been mugged and he goes what I said I just got mugged in a park Goes, what park I said the park opposite the house and I remember I always remember this right and we Elvis runs massive in my family Elvis fanatics right so my dad wears big rings and I remember him just turning the rings around like that right walks past me gets a baseball bat goes follow me and then we walk into the park, up to this group of people. And, and I said to him, he came from that group. At that point, I didn't know if he was there or not. And he just walks up to the group, right? Excuse my French, but this is how British people talk, right? And uh, he just walks up to the group of people, puts up the baseball bat, goes, which one of you cunts, robbed my son, right? And then all sort of looking at each other. And I recognize one of the girls and I'm like, she's like, he, he went, he went. We go back home and he puts the baseball bat back, turns his rings around. Turns around in kitchen, points at me because don't ever let someone disrespect you like that. You don't let someone mug you, right? You need to stand up for yourself. And I remember when, and I remember that. Like he's even making me sort of like shake inside now because I remember that so vividly because it was like in that moment I wasn't being a man before. To now, what I need to do is I need to grow up and start being a man. If there's confrontation, I don't shy away from confrontation. If someone wants to mug me, then you ain't mugging me. Right, which basically means I will put my life on the line for another five pound note, right? But why? Because of my ego and masculinity needs to take charge, you know. And uh, that for me became this masculinity mask that I felt like I had to wear for so long after that event. Um, and that's probably one of the most damaging ones that men could wear as well.
0: Well, let, let's talk about your father a little bit because I read the book and and. Um... <laughs> You found out some things about your father that might explain him not wanting to talk about your abuse with your step granddad um, and that also affected him. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So. Earlier on, I said about how there's three main points where I spoke out to begin with. One was to my uh, ex-girlfriend. The second time I went to his business sort of business mastermind conference and there's like seven other entrepreneurs there and it was meant to just be hey my name is Perry I run a fitness business you know this is six years five six years ago hey Perry I'm running a fitness business I'm here to grow it but instead I didn't really say that and I said about being abused as a kid and I had you know I had no idea that that was going to come out my mouth but anyway that was the second time and the third time I was driving home from that conference and I felt like I was still in this bubble that had been expanded from these people who I wanted to be, right? So like, right, I need to share my story again, but I don't want to say it to every single Tom, Dick and Harry, I want to say it once in this out there. So I got my, I pulled over my car. Well, actually I said, I'll do it when I get home. I'll do it when I get home. I'll do a video when I get home. And then the voice in my head was like, no, you won't. Because when you get home, you're going to walk in through your front door. You're going to step back into your comfort zone. And then you tell yourself a reason that you're going to end up believing that's why you shouldn't do it. So I put my car over, got my phone out, put it on the dashboard. Took me seven takes, did a video, put it onto Facebook. Now that, as a side note, was the, the, the sort of catalyst of change. That's what really let it. Everything else is a big domino effect. But I then go to my family home. I speak to my stepmom, and she's like, "We've seen the video, right?" And I'm like, "Cool." And I, I remember at that point, I was like, "I never really anticipated family to watch this. This is awkward. Okay, what are you going to say?" And then she's like, "We didn't know when on." for that long and what she proceeded to say was that when she took me away from it she told my dad my dad confronted me i made them believe that that in one instance was the only time it happened so that was an interesting fact that i found out then i go to my auntie's house my dad's sister and uh was like another mother figure in my life and she's there with my cousin who's five six years older than me He's practically like a sister now up until this moment I'd always known that Kelly, she's in the book, she was abused by the same man. I'd always known that because she would tell me. But she would never go into too much detail and I would never go into detail about me. And I remember sitting there, my auntie was like, we watched a video. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. What, what do you have to say? And she's like, well, you know, it wasn't just you that was abused by your set granddad. I said, no, Kelly was as well. She goes, but it wasn't just you two. It was someone else in the family, just to protect privacy. And she goes, and uh, it was your dad as well. And I remember sort of sitting back in a chair. And that's when all the dots connected. That's why it made sense why he went to alcohol. It made sense why whenever I brought it up, he would shut me down. It made sense why he told me to watch the film Spotlight about the Catholic priests and the cover-ups. Because I later found out that um, my step-granddad, where he grew up, was in a Catholic church being abused by the priests. And that's in Cork, in Ireland, which was listed at the end of the movie. And the reports from the school that he was at was part of the research from the makers of that movie and the actual real life team. So that's when I realized that my dad was lived and died in silence. And that became, I think, the big moment of purpose to help people not go down the same road that my dad went down.
3: Perry, that that's just absolutely beautiful. Like your ability to come forward. So many survivors really do struggle with Staying silent and keeping things in the dark and feeling a lot of shame. And when you said you were breaking the silence, you know, the thing that I thought to myself is he's not only breaking the silence for himself, for his aunt, he's breaking for his dad for generations to come. And I think that's something truly brutal. So could you speak a little bit to like, how is that breaking the silence really brought you like healing and comfort? And also like, how has it brought that to the people around you? You said about
1: generations, uh, and that is one of the biggest things that happens, which is bre- breaking the generational cycle of abuse, breaking the generational cycle of trauma, breaking the generational cycle of silence. Uh, you know, Body Keeps a Score. He talks about how trauma can, uh, which is a great book, talks about how trauma can be passed through. It you know, gets passed down through generations, and it does in different, in different ways. And I remember just being like, it needs to end with me, you know, because if it doesn't end with me, and I live in silence, sure, I can paint a reality where maybe I don't become an alcoholic, or maybe I don't become a drug addict, but I just don't talk about it. But then that trauma, that shit can be passed down to my kids in the future one day, and it can come out in different ways to them. You know, who knows? But it's definitely a possibility. And I know right there, that was something that I needed to really help do. And I think that when it comes to breaking the silence, It's when we live when we live in silence, right? We think we're the only ones that have been through it. Okay. We think that we are the only ones that are going to be able to understand it. We think that we're the only ones that are ever going to believe it. Why should I voice it? No one's going to believe me. And the beautiful thing about breaking the silence is, and I do kind of speak about this sometimes, and it comes comes across as Perry, it's not that easy to do. I know it's difficult to do, but the way that I look at it is that the consequences of living in silence outweigh the consequences of breaking it. Right. And when we do break the silence, that's when we realize that we're not the only ones that have gone through it. And one of the magical things that comes out of this is everyone here, everyone, no matter, no matter the matter agenda, right, can relate to the feeling of shame. Right. And shame lives in silence. And one of the best ways to maybe not completely get rid of it, but I tell you what, it, it takes a lot of weight off of you is to add a voice to your stories, to add a voice to it. And that helps to not have shame live. Why? Because we can be on this call now talking about it openly, you know, and that really helps to get rid of the shame that's attached to it.
0: You know, like we talked, it's incredible. And we talked about, you talked about how that voice just uh, became a snowball. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how that video that you first put out uh, snowballed into the the all the reactions that you got and 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 all the the love that you got from from other survivors and how did that happen i mean that that must have been incredible it was like the movie i i I think dear evan hansen where like he puts out that video and 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 suddenly everybody uh on social media is coming to him that kind of happened to you didn't it
1: (laughs) it did it did and uh it did start with that Facebook video. It's I don't know it, it, with with the content of mine that that goes out now uh, in regards to viral, that the original video didn't go viral. However, I think in that time, five, six years ago, especially as a man doing it, it created a lot of impact. And I remember how I put that video out. I think there's there's like a there's like a there's a line one end of it you got pain the other end of it you got purpose and I think that when we first break our silence we're doing it we're in a place of pain right and we need to get this off of our chest we need to do it for us and then sometimes what starts to happen is the more you do that then you shift into a place of purpose and then it becomes a whole different reason as to why you're sharing that story okay and that video was when I really started to shift towards a place of purpose because I had a message from someone a, a business guy in America and he reached out to me and basically said that i'm on one side of america my family on this side i'm trying to chase my you know trying to do my thing and they want me to come back basically there's an abuser on this side right and he doesn't want to go back to that world and he felt so much conflict that he was sending him down a dark self-sabotaging path but watching my video brought light into what was so dark and that made me realize for the very first time oh okay so my story that I've been living with for over 12 years, I can actually share this now for good to actually help someone, just help one person. That's like fascinating. And that, that leading of curiosity then led to me doing another video, me doing a post, me doing another post. And then it just became, you know, the compound effect. And then it just became over time of this consistency that, that led to the next thing. Then TikTok came about. And then with TikTok, at that time, it was just singing and dancing. That's it. Just singing and dancing. And it was just kids, primarily. And I remember watching this. And I remember, now this is a different ex-girlfriend, right? It's a girl from after Abby. But I remember being with her. And I was like, I've I've shared my story out speaking to so many adults. I was like, but I, I would like to speak to those who are younger, where it's happening or it's just very recently happened. And I was like, do I do this on TikTok? Because they're just singing and dancing. And you've got Perry Power coming in with a whole wave of, hey, you know, you know, I was abused. And it's like, are they, they going to want that? So I thought, just try it. Because at least you can maybe speak to and maybe help one kid. So I did that. And in that video, it just jumped like up to like 300,000 views. And I was like, and there's a lot of comments about people basically saying, I can relate, I can relate. And whenever I talk about abuse, I always talk about intrafamilial abuse. That's it. I only talk about being, you know, I only, because it's me and there's not enough voices talking specifically about intrafamilial abuse, sexual abuse within a family environment. So I talk about that and uh, that is then what led to all of the DMs. And it, it was just a compound effect from that, which then led to the next thing, led to the next thing, led to the next thing. But the real growth in regards to context on social media came from really TikTok.
3: Yeah. Harry, that's so amazing. I'm so glad that so many survivors and people who are just going through similar things are being, feel comfortable enough to reach out to you. I think that speaks to your ability to talk about what you've been through and have a little bit of a removed distance from it uh, without being, you know, still in the moment and still attempting to figure out a path forward. And so uh, we, I really commend you for that. And that's something really, really beautiful to see. Um, I wanted to talk about a little bit. You obviously have written a book. And just what, what is that? You talked about this compounding, right? And I kind of wanted to run into that with the book as well. Like a book is a no, no small feat, you know, like a video, you can pop up your phone, but a book is lots of sitting down. so lots of intent thought. What was kind of your process going through that? How did that come about?
2: So. I remember. I, I remember
1: at a, At the time of all of this happening, I was in a house in Portsmouth, which is uh, south of England. And I remember living in this house and I was so broke, unbelievable, couldn't afford furniture. So I was sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag with my dog and she was in her bed. And that was just our life for months, months, months. And, you know, I was starving and I would share my food with, with my dog. And, you know, it's just... but definitely the most depressing year of my life however what came out of that i think was faith you know some people call it god some people call it universe uh some people you know whatever whatever you want to call it um for me it was faith that i'm here on this planet for a bigger reason than myself i'm here for a, a bigger purpose and i'm here for something greater than myself and you know if i'm on a floor right now in a house can't afford Heating or anything, it gotta be for a reason, right? It's gotta be. There's gotta be something from this that can lead into something, and that was when all the DMs started to come through. And I was like, Perry, instead of focusing on yourself, which can then lead to even further depression, how about you focus on someone else? How about you take yourself out of you and put it into someone else? And that's when I was then diving into the DMs on Instagram, and people were just sharing their stories with me, left, right, and center. I never asked. This is a beautiful thing about story sharing. Is if I share my story right now. I'm giving everyone that's listening the permission to go and share those, right? I don't have to say go and share yours. You just know intuitively because I've just given you permission to do so. And now everyone reached out to me. Loads of it. I'm talking. It ended up being thousands, right? It ended up being anywhere up to 50 DMs a day on Instagram. There was ridiculous amounts sharing their stories with me. And I then remember at the time, Jeffrey Epstein, there was a documentary on Netflix, and I remember being two episodes in, half of through, I just end up crying my eyes out. And there was, a, there was a victim on there basically saying how, you know, she's still a broken woman. She still hasn't found the light yet, but however, she's getting there. But she was saying about how she couldn't speak out because she felt like she couldn't break that silence because of who Jeffrey Epstein was. Okay, she couldn't speak out. And I remember you know i think come back to compound effect i think when you you'd always find a way through if you keep on attacking something and you spent you know 600 ways to to find a resolution and you haven't yet keep going you will find one that's the same thing with sharing my story and then it led to what about writing a book i don't know i've never written a book before you know how difficult is that going to be it's going to be difficult i'm sure but does that mean you can't do it no okay cool (laughs) i was like okay and I was looking at the girl on the screens. So had it paused. And I was like, I need to write my book for people like her. I have to, or I'll do something. So then I remember then, I was like, okay. So I then got about 20 or 30 of my books down from the shelf, looked at how every single one of them wrote their book, the style that they wrote it in, how they structured it, then attacked my book. And then I wrote that in 30 days, right? Which sounds great, but then I didn't release it for a year why because of perfectionism because i was scared of releasing that because for me it was like i've shared my story in different ways yeah but having a book that's a different ball game it's a different ball game and i sat on it and i had it in my google drive folder it ended up being for over a year but one of the things that i'd done was so my book is split into three parts part one is my story part two is a story of um other survivors So right? I've 14 other survivors half of them are named half of them are unnamed Part three is the steps that one can take to break their silence. Now for the people in the middle, the stories, like I said, half of them are named, half of them are unnamed. Now all the people that are unnamed was a selection of the people who reached out to me on Instagram to share with me their story. And they said that they wanted to be part of the book to break their silence and use that as a platform. And, um, yeah, but a year later, then I remember waking up, I'm in a different place now. I, um, Put, I had to put my dog to sleep, which was the worst day of my entire life. And I ended up going to a, a new house. And I remember waking up one day. Um, there was just this voice in my head. It was the same voice I think when it when I was driving the car. It said to me, "No, you won't. Don't wait until you go home. Pull over the car now. Share your story." The same voice. I said, "Dude, what are you waiting for to get the book out? Stop waiting." Right. You've waited a year. Nothing's changed. Right. When it comes to it, find a way because At that time I had, you know, I didn't have any money to do anything. Even then I was like, so find a way, go on to Canva, do the front cover, figure that out. OK, do a free editing software. If there's, if there's spelling errors, who cares? Because your story and your truth is going to outweigh any of the spelling errors that are in the book. OK, it, it carries it. And uh, then I put the book out. And then it went to number one in the sexual abuse category and the mental health category in America and the UK. And they those are pretty big categories. And and it went to number one in those two. And it just it was just proof to me how sometimes if we threw on something, we have to release it or we have to take action. You know, it's the imperfect action that always works.
0: And it's what's interesting is that not only did you get people to share their stories in your book. Um, But it was also a very good cross-section of males and females and their experiences. Can you, did you make any observations from that about any differences or similarities between the experiences that males or females had with uh, childhood sexual abuse? Yes.
1: So there's one that's very obvious to me, and and then you have the other one, which is the Magnitude of the shame that men live with, women live with shame too, hundred percent, hundred percent, right? But the shame it was very, it was very evident to see, and that was just in DMs back then. Now you know, I'm in a completely different sort of stage of my life where I've seen that even deeper now, face to face, right, and in in different ways where the shame becomes so crippling for a man that the thought of even voicing the words is just suicide. And that's what it feels like, you know? But I'll tell you what was interesting, how I haven't had this, what I'm about to say, it's still to this day, I haven't had this once from a woman, but I've had it numerous times from a man. And that is a man will share their story with me about being sexually abused. And then they question their sexuality, you know? For example, let's just say they reach out to me, they're gay. But then they tell me their story and they say, I don't actually know if I am gay. Am I gay? Because my first sexual experiences was, my, was with my uncle, you know? And they've spent their whole life doubting whether they're actually gay or not, which is a different game, you know, in regards to the the challenges that that area faces in regards to questioning their sexuality. And I've gotten that from a lot of a lot of guys and not once from a woman in regards to a woman reaching out to me who you know um in a similar situation and I found that very interesting and I think that might also come down to maybe societal beliefs. Um maybe I don't know you know I don't actually have the answer for that yet, but it's just a very interesting observation that I've that I've gone.
3: Yeah that is that is very interesting for sure Barry and thank you so much for sharing that. Um Harry, you've done so much work to empower survivors, to break silence, to make videos, to push your content out there. You've written a book. You've done so many great and grand things that we're so proud of and we're so amazed by. And we want to know like what's what are your plans going forward? Like what have you yet to accomplish that you're like, ah, you know, maybe I'll dabble in this just a little bit. So this, so there's two
1: two slides to this so what developments on what i've already got going and the new things that i want to do so developments are so we've got the charity in america so what we do with that is we give free mental health care to child survivors of sexual abuse right we take donations that come in we pay for therapists to then um put the children through a mental health care program with them um a goal now what we're doing is opening up safe homes and that's a very long process a very lengthy process to do there's so many red tape in there it's unbelievable but that is something that is a plan that we are looking into moving forward. So that's what we were asking kids. I'm a trustee on a charity here in America called We Together. And what we've built is a tool to have victims of survivors of sexual assault to anonymous, anonymously self-report what happened to them. And what happens is when they anonymously self-report, it goes into a, a database that's completely protected. And then with AI if it if it finds similarities in reporting because as we l- know a lot of the times when somebody assaults someone or abuses someone it's not just the one person that they've done right in their lifetime a lot of times this is the case so if we find similarities in the re- reporting it creates a cluster and it gets sent to the police so a lot of the work at the moment is going into um, getting that involved in the met police and getting that into the houses of parliament so it can become heard of um, in our government and then um then the other thing is, I'll tell you what the, the vision is. Um, my vision is to have a production company that essentially creates only true story films, right? So movies about people that are survivors of trauma, that have stories that need to be shared, right? Not just from famous people, but from, from every person from the walk of life. And to turn their story into a very inspiring and impactful film. So that's like the, you know, that's like the the Bahamas, right? That's like the, the promised land that I'm trying to get to. And in the meantime, I'm doing small things to get there. I.e. what I do very, very often is I have a team that takes survivors and turns their story into video reels, you know, and every single video reel that I've done of a survivor has gone viral. We're talking millions of views, right? So and uh, and I also help survivors turn their stories into books, so they can write a book, um, and all those things is you know let's get your story, let's turn it into a book, and then later on, let's take that book and let's turn it into a movie. So that's like the future project, um, projection of of where I'm going, encompassing what I'm doing now as well.
0: Well, oh, it's and it's that I hope you get it to accomplish that. I mean, you're you're pretty young. How old are you? Uh, Twenty eight. 28 I can't believe it and and you have such incredible insights into the the um the whole idea things that took me 30 40 years to uh grasp you already have and it's I'm so thankful for that that because I I don't want to see men go through what uh you know the guilt and the shame as long as I did and uh and I just applaud those of you young, uh, like you and Laward, who are, are helping come forward and helping people, helping men um, and women make it easier for them to uh, tell their story and own their story. And I wanted to ask you about uh, forgiveness because a lot of times I hear when we're when we're talking with fellow survivors or survivors are talking, to you do you need to forgive your uh, abuser do you need to forgive yourself who do you need to forgive can you talk a little bit about that that idea of forgiveness
1: yeah yeah uh, uh forgiveness i'll first start off by saying that i never i never tell someone you need to forgive right that's i never do and you don't have to there's so many ways to skin a cat you know and forgiveness is one of them so i just want to get that out there first my experience with forgiveness is that i think a lot of times people think forgiveness is something for the other person like we grow up and you've got a sibling and a sibling i don't know drops your phone cracks it and your parents like forgive you know forgive them you know let them off the hook you know say it's okay right it's okay you broke my phone i can just go buy a new one right type of thing and and i think that has kind of been ingrained into us growing up so if for example when it comes to me being sexually abused by my second granddad if I forgive him, I'm giving him a get out of jail free card. I mean, I'm letting him off the hook. So, sorry, mate. You know, no, no worries about it. You know? But when it comes to forgiveness, it absolutely isn't that. It's it's for me the most important person to forgive is yourself. If you can forgive yourself, and then boom, you've let go. You, you know you're you're fantastic. Great. Don't even worry about forgiving you know the abuser because if you don't need to go there, don't go there. Okay. But for me, you know, I, I I did forgive myself. I forgave myself for speaking out. I forgave myself. And I also will say this, um, not many people voice this. I've only had a select handful of people voice this on all of the years of opening up to me. But when you go through, it, it always depends on the environment and how it happens and how long it happens for. But some of the times when it comes to sexual abuse, there's an element of enjoying it because it's sexual act, sexual organs, right? And sometimes you do it to survive, okay? Uh, I remember when I was younger and my mum was confronting me about it, villainizing my step-granddad. I said to her, no, don't worry about it because I enjoyed it, right? And I always remember saying those words as an 11-year-old kid. And I remember growing up, remembering that. You know, I remember that word for word. I remember where I said that to my mum. I remember everything, why because if i enjoy that right then you know what i mean it's just like it's a very hard thing to sit with but i had to forgive myself for that i had to understand why i said that and that is why forgiveness to yourself is the most important step first but after i went through forgiveness of myself i went through forgiveness of my dad OK, because then there's, there's the element of, well, if my dad knew that he was an abuser, why did he let me go around the house? OK, that's obvious. Why? Many people villainize my dad. Right. And I don't like it because I love my, my dad to death. Right. But. It's not the thing is, when it comes to sexual abuse within the family environment, it's never black and white. There's so many colors to that palette. Right. It's like it's just not for somebody who hasn't gone through sexual abuse within a family environment, can't fully understand what it's like for a family member to go through it. And that's the kind of answer I give when it comes to my dad and when it comes to me. Then it was about forgiving my sickline dad. And I was like, do I want to do that? And I was like, well, how about you try? For me, it was about leading with curiosity. It was about trying to just put a couple of pieces together on a puzzle to try and form some type of picture for me to maybe have some type of understanding. That's what led to me meeting up with his two daughters who I hadn't seen before, finding out that he sexually abused all of his kids as well in his own blood family. And that's then what led me to finding out that he was raised in a Catholic um, private uh, boarding school in Ireland. And finding all of this out allowed me to let go. Right, It allowed me to forgive. And it allowed me to move forward. So when it comes to forgiveness, if people are toying around with it, I really want to urge that it's nothing to do with them. It's everything to do with you. And if it allows you to let go, doesn't matter about what anybody else thinks. It's just about
2: your own healing journey moving forward.
0: Great.
3: Great. Okay, do you want to take this?
0: Oh, uh, so I, I had actually had a follow-up to that because you, in your book, uh, you, had, you had mentioned that you had um you know had enjoyed it but in your book there's a there's one part where you were laying in your bed as a a, i think 11 year old um terrified that your grand your stepdad was going to come in i mean your your step-granddad was going to come in um so you didn't really enjoy it
1: yeah you know and that's the interesting thing isn't it when it comes to innocent children when it comes to grooming right and when it comes to trauma we're blocking out certain things so like that memory there with me on the bed i literally only found out about that memory i think it was a year before year before i released the book so that might be maybe three years ago and i remember i was just lying in bed in a certain way exactly how it happened i was lying in bed in a certain way and the door was opened as a, a jar to a certain point. And I was just looking at the door and then boom, my nan and my step-granddad were standing there. He had, he had his arm around her and they were saying good to me. And after conversations with family members, that was apparently the only time that I'd actually slept around there overnight. Never happened before, never happened after. And, uh, but I remember lying in bed and I remember my step just staring at me and I was staring at him. And I sort of looked away and I went out. And I remember lying there. And I was. I was scared because I didn't know what sexual abuse was. I didn't know what rape was. But I remember being scared that he could come in at any point during the night. And it took me ages to fall asleep because I was a petrified child. Um, But, yeah, you're right. You know, I obviously didn't enjoy it because I absolutely thought it was, you know, like Disneyland every day with him, then I wouldn't have been scared lying on that bed. Which I think just it just comes down to complexities of traumas and what we force ourselves to believe and what we don't.
0: It's the conflict, right? Of, yeah. Uh, of of yeah, trying to make it okay as a child in one respect, but then knowing that it's not okay in another respect. And that's that okay. conflict that comes together. It's It's really tough. Um, we're going to take questions uh, from the, the attendees. So if you want to start, uh, if you have questions, put them in the meeting chat and, um, and we'll, go, we'll, uh, we'll get to them. Laura, do you have a question?
3: Yeah, um, I actually want to circle back to this idea of forgiveness. I think a couple of people in the audience, I'm sure, struggle with this idea of forgiving themselves much more so than their abuser. And so I kind of wanted you to talk through, like, what does that process look like in your brain? What kinds of things are you thinking about? What kinds of things would you let someone know? Like, hey, if you're struggling with this idea of forgiving yourself, like, consider these things perhaps.
1: I I remember going back to it for myself and it was about, I think a lot of times when we don't forgive ourselves, I think there's so many sort of like, there's so many parts that we try to not think about because if we think about it, then we, you know, we're angry at ourselves because we've done it. Right. So instead we we just sort of left over with whatever feeling that is attached to that, whether that's regret, whether that's pain, uh, shame, whether that's guilt. And I think for me, what I did back then was I forced myself to go back to each moment that brought me the pain is going back to the time where my dad messaged me the morning of his death and said to me that he's got a pain in the stomach I remember reading the message and was like, fuck, fuck off, dad. Right? Your your attention seeking. Yeah, you don't have any pain. And I remember sitting with that, you know, angry at him because he just, because that's the, the point that he got to in his life. And then all of a sudden, hours later, he's dead. Right. And that was the last bit of contact that I had from my dad was that message. And I, I remember sitting with that for so long, blaming myself and hating myself. What kind of a son does that? And I would ignore that sometimes because like now, you know, I want to cry, right? Because the emotions are still there, even though I know what's true and what's not. Okay. But it's about thinking about that part that brings us to pain. That brings us to everything that's wrapped up into it, you know, and thinking about me not replying back to my dad and me being like, dude, it's okay. Right. You're a human being. And if there's reasons behind it, then sure go over them, almost as if you're talking to somebody in the opposite chair, right? I, you know, like growing up, it probably isn't the best way to explain it because interrogation is always the nicest word, but I always would put myself in a mental interrogation room. So what I've always, I used to call it, and I kind of still do, is where I, I would sit with myself in my mind and I would question myself and I, and I would find out answers by diving into things with just me, myself and I. And when it came to finding forgiveness, it was just highlighting each area like that. And I think what happens is something magical if we tend to sit with it long enough is if we can sit with every element of our story that does bring us to regret, the guilt or the shame, we can sit with it and then we can say, I'm letting you go now. right? I'm letting you go. It's okay. I'm letting you go. That happened. Sure. Part of my story, but I'm letting that go. And if you do that over and over and over and over again, you do find that the emotions that you had with it does start to let go. Right. And that's what I've done for myself. That's what I've done with my dad, um, with how he used to speak to me. And, you know, I'll say to myself, listen, he spoke to you like that because he was hurt. He was a wounded person. Mm-hmm. You know, he was someone who was living with trauma. And sometimes trauma can act out in certain ways that it's hard to forget and it's hard to forgive. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to. Right. And then I'm letting you go now. And it's just doing that on repeat like a broken record with each thing. And it works for me and it's worked for many other people doing it the same way as well.
0: If you could talk to your dad right now, what would you say to him? Um, I think... Looking looking back, I think my
1: dad, I think the biggest thing that my dad was probably ridden with was guilt because he put his son into an environment where he then was sexually abused, right? Right. And and I think a lot of the stuff is guilt that he had because, again, it wasn't just me. It was other family members, too, and he knew that. And I think that if he was here, I wouldn't necessarily go into the details and ask him just, you know, Dad, you want to show your story with me, mate? Come on, right? I would uh, just say to him that what he went through and how things panned out in the life that you've lived, that none of that was your fault. You know, and just, and he will know exactly what I'm saying by just saying that and just say it wasn't your fault.
0: I understand. And I forgive you. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Again.
1: You are a Craig in question. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: no, coming up with heavy, heavy. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm I know. To tear up here. Um, no, but I think, I think I've made very many people, you know, the parents who preceded you, the generations that came before you. I think they would, they would see the man you are today, the man you are becoming, everything that you've gone through, parent. They would be very proud of you, and I, I can say that with a lot of conviction in my heart. So I, I appreciate like, that done a lot of work. And, you know, again, your impact is still growing. We're so excited. Um, I'm going to try and try and take, come back for that question to ask some questions from the crowd. Um, (laughs) Obviously, we kind of touched on this just a little bit, but how have you dealt with just like these really toxic masculine ideals, uh, a lot of the social stigmas, you know, fighting against those things, kind of like we had talked about the masks and what some a little bit of advice you have for people who are trying to fight against those things as well i
1: you'll notice that i tend to do this a lot i tend to um go back to my own example of how i done it because um that makes me more comfortable than than telling someone to maybe do it that there, i always break that rule sometimes when it comes to which i will cover in this call with the ways to break your silence because that i think is something that's very worth people knowing about, but. I think for me, you know, I, two things happened. One, I think a lot of people tend to go out there to try and find out who they are, whereas we are already one. Like we, we are, we already are here and we already do exist. We just have to start peeling back the layers of the onion to find out who that person is. And I can do that sitting in this chair, you know, and I had to, find out who i was and that is the guy who doesn't like violence whereas my dad will throw fists so i don't you know i think i've my fist once in my life and i don't remember right i remember when i threw my fist at this one guy back in school i just started apologizing to him And i just i'm so sorry like and i just felt like the worst human being in the world right i mean like because and i did that because my dad was in the back of my head because of what he'd done to me before that right and and I've never done anything since because I'm not. I'm a lover. I'm the biggest. You know, I cry fucking everything, right? And that's just you know. And I I had to basically get real with the human being that I am, and lean into that. Doesn't happen overnight. Overnight, but it's just about trying to lean into it one percent more each day into who we truly are, and at the same time leaning more into who I am, whilst having me. I don't give a fuck. And I will say that because I've that that is something that I've planted into myself for so many years when it comes to, like, I share my story every day. You best believe I get my fair share of negative comments. You best believe it, right? You, you, all kinds, all kinds. And I look at them and I'm like, listen, I know what's true. I know what I'm doing. I don't give a fuck what your opinion is. If it's negative, that's unfortunate, okay? And if someone does it, if someone thinks, God, all he talks about is abuse or he ain't a man because he's talking about that, I don't give a fuck because I know, right? This is how I deal with things because I know that I know what I'm doing is helping. And I know that I'm doing it being the Perry power that I truly am. And that's the guy who wears his heart on his sleeve, right? Which has pros and cons, but I don't care about the codes, the cons, because the pros is who I am. And I think if we can fall More in love and more authentic with who we truly are, I think that takes care of a lot of other stuff. I really do. I really do. If I look back at the times before of this, when I was going down different ventures, like when I had different businesses before, and I showed up as this person online to help with that business, I would get affected by some people's comments and by by how I showed up. Why? Because I wasn't really Perry Power, right? The guy who I am now, who who can do this sort of stuff twenty four hours a day right? That's Perry, this is Perry Power. And if somebody had, you know, if there was some sort of societal thing, you know, like one one example is, I remember um, I was front cover of a front page of one of these newspapers a couple of years ago, and they said that alleged, right? Perry Power was allegedly abused, right? And I remember looking, I was like, what an interesting word to use. Right, And it got a big uproar for people following me because they're like, how dare you use the word allegedly? And that is one thing that happens in society is that they throw out these words because there's no proof. Oh, sure. Well, allegedly, right? He might be doing this for for X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no, no, no. Like you don't throw out words like that, but I know what's true. This is Perry Powell doing this. I'm not going to allow that word to affect me. I'm going to move forward and get my story out there even even more. You know? So there's two bits to that. I hope that made sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, and, and it is—it is so true because um, there, it's been affecting both men and women with their stories forever. Is is, uh, is that disbelief uh, by people are not wanting to believe? Um, so it's re- it really makes it tougher. Talk about the ways that you um, to break your silence that you mentioned in, in a few minutes ago.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. If we go back to when I broke my silence, I went and told my ex girlfriend, and now a lot of people who will hear my story. But like, okay, so Perry says I break it, my silence, so I'm gonna go and tell my partner. Now I always say this: this is where I put on the hat of let me let me suggest what to do, okay? Because that guy who was living in twelve years of silence, he then told his girlfriend what happened. She welcomed me with open arms, fantastic. But what was I? I was lucky because if she didn't welcome me with open arms, if she rejected my story, if she said she didn't believe it, or she paused for a few seconds too long, I would have read into that and thought that she maybe thinks that I'm a weirdo or she's trying to think how to react to not help my feelings. doesn't matter what's true or not. It's about what I perceive to be true. And then that would then send me living back in silence, maybe for the rest of my life, because now I associate my truth with rejection. And for me, it's about... Where if you're living in silence about something that you've been through, break the silence to yourself first in as many different ways as possible. And then you tell someone else. So in te- instead of telling someone else, we'll just use an example of like your partner. Instead of telling your partner step one, make, make that I don't know, step 12. And the first 11 steps you have told yourself in a different way could be writing a poem, could be telling yourself in the mirror. It could be journaling. It could be uh, doing a bit of art. You know, one example is uh, if we see a canvas with paint splattered all over it, some people don't understand, like, what is this, this art? But how do you not know that the painter has been living in silence for 24 years and the way they broke the silence is through the array of paints that you see on that canvas, right? And that's an expression of emotions, So each single time you share your story with yourself, you're taking ownership over what happened. You're taking ownership over your truth and over your story. Then when it comes to telling someone else, you're in a completely different position when you're telling it, right? You're not seeking validation because if they don't give it to you, that's outside of your control. It's about trying to put yourself into a position where you can share your story without seeking validation or approval or belief from someone else. You simply just putting it on the table they can take it or they can leave it. Doesn't matter. You know what your truth is. You know what your story is. So that's how I suggest anyone to break their silences to themselves first and then to someone else. Yeah. Uh,
3: Perry, I wanted to ask one, a question from the audience is, did you ever feel like you had any like male trauma bonding with your abuser? You know, did you ever feel like there's some sort of bonding that was happening or was it always a very removed experience? He, outside of
1: those, you know, he was like a master groomer. He would take me to the pub. He would let me drink his Guinness and his ales when the bum was not looking, crisps, pool. When I was at home and my dad said, you can't have a choc ice, right? He would go and get a choc ice and and make me have it in private. You know, so he positioned himself as being, you know, the hero really of my story, which caused me to <clears throat> idolize him. And... Grooming, yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%. You know, and so then when it came to the things like putting his hand down my trousers and masturbating me and pleasuring me whilst we we're watching Power Rangers or Eggheads on TV, that was fine. You know, just a form of love that another family member wasn't giving me. So, um, that's pretty much what it looked like between me and him. But then he he died. But so like a year or two after the abuse stopped, he died from a heart attack at work. And I remember like. Being heartbroken, being absolutely heartbroken when he passed away, um, because even though yeah, you hadn't
0: seen him for a couple of years at that point, right?
1: No, but I was still heartbroken. Yeah, yeah. I remember just sitting in my bed for hours, just thinking it over. My stepmom coming into the room, like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, I'm just thinking about my stepgrandad. And uh, you know, I remember those times. And but you know, that's that's all came from all of the uh, the trauma. You know, came from the abuse. An agreement.
0: <laughs> wow. So, um, this is another question from from the uh, audience. Uh, how did your spirituality uh, help you with with all of this? Did you, are you spiritual? It doesn't matter. You know, is there an element of spirituality that that keeps you going?
1: I think in, in regards to spirituality, I am just. It's as far as it goes as me being someone who believes in, I believe that we have a choice to find meaning in something. We also have a choice to not look for the meaning of something and just move on. I make the choice of finding meaning in all of the chapters that I've lived, maybe a, a chapter that I'm currently living, because it's that meaning that allows me, that gives me the faith to push through because it's happening for a reason you know um like when i was alone in the portsmouth house why don't i go through a suicide there's probably a couple of reasons but i know one of them was because my faith in that i'm here for a reason speaks volumes and i need to continue forward because soon the next chapter of my life is going to start and there's no way it's going to be the same as this one and it has helped me get through get through a lot for sure believing that there's
2: higher power, believing in as a meaning, you know, whatever word you want
0: to use. So what would your, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Lord.
3: Yeah. Uh, I think I was just I'm curious to you, you know, we had talked about you know a lot of the ways to break silence, a lot of the ways in which we're looking for forgiveness and just wondering if there's any additional things that you would like to say to like any survivors and people who are listening about, Hey, like this is just something that I want to say to you just to say to you. I think that, uh,
1: I think a lot of the times when it comes to a survivor of abuse, you know, uh, within a family, I'll say this just very quickly, just in case there's someone in here that can resonate that. I think a lot of times when we have a story that is, surrounding abuse within a family and we speak out we have these sort of complications in our head of what's going to happen to the family if my own family if I speak out it's not just my story anymore it is, this is implicating everyone right and then it's also it's almost as if like they turn from the being a victim to them being a villain by the family and then they get outcasted this happens a lot of times and I always say that which is why they stay in silence because of the fear of that happening and. I always say that if your family was to turn their back on you once you've spoken out, that says more about them than it does you, right? Because your family should be sticking by you, by your side, for your truth, for your story, because that is what matters. And if they're going to turn away from you, outcast you from the family, then you need to make sure that a loving and protective and supportive family comes from you instead. I'm fortunate that I've got a loving family that stood by my side, but there's many people out there who don't have that, which is why they're going to make sure a family comes from them. You know, because I'm like, if you're going to stay in silence to protect that maybe from happening, you know, you can't be happy with family members that you know wouldn't have your back when shit hits the fan to still be around you, you know? Uh, So I wanted to voice that and then also voice the concept of owning our story. I think that a lot of times we try to change our story or running away from our story. But I think when we've been through abuse, when we've been through assault, I think we need to own that part of our story because then what happens is if we can own our story, then we can own our life. And that transition is essentially taking our power back. Right. And then we become powerful to then live the life that we want to live. But if we don't do that and we haven't moved on from what's happened and we are a victim of that situation from what's happened, then we are still almost being like a puppet of the trauma that we have and it, it, can, it can be a very, you know, I was like that. I was there myself. And we have to break free from those chains by all the things that we've talked about on this call, plus everything else that, you know, voice beyond the soul, like you guys are doing and do do everything in order for you to move forward to then take ownership of your life as well.
0: I want to jump back to what you just said, because uh, I would like to dive, have you dive into that a little bit more, because I haven't heard this concept, uh, the family within. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: the family within
0: yes you said create a family within if you don't have a family oh i see yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. yes you know there's two parts of that so that you know external and internal so the external is you know create a family have a family come from you externally so be the parent that you wish your parent was to you then you have the have a have a family come from within so for example is when you're sharing your story right we are human beings we do want love we do want care yeah, we do want to be supported right because we need all of that and if we're not getting that from the family then we need to try and get that from internal right from the family within us so um i heard this i was on a call a while ago and and i remember them i was talking about my dad and i remember them saying about how the parts where you wish that your dad fathered you differently you need to father yourself like that now right and I was like, "Oh, wow, okay," and that is kind of like the concept of a family within, you know, because you know, a mum brings you different than what a father brings you and a sibling. And if you can try to, to touch base with all of those internally, then I think you're in a much better place.
0: So it's 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 almost like loving yourself or treating yourself as a loved yeah. one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Valuing. Yeah. Correct. Correct.
2: Hi Perry, this is Brianna. I mean, wow. Um I would tell you, I cried, I got angry, I smiled, I've been empowered because of the power effect. I think your last name just rings true of what you bring, not only within yourself, but what you are now instilling in a lot of other survivors. So thank you. I'm almost in tears now. I'm just like thank you for this, this conversation. Um, you really have made me, so like now, Men of Voices Beyond Assault makes so much sense. <laughs> you know, I always knew it made sense because I have friends, the reason why I started the organization, I have, you know, male friends that are still in silence. Um, and I'm just so honored that Lord and Craig really stepped up and was like, let's do this. And you have just like put the cherry on top of what this Men of voice behind us all means. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all I wanted to say.
1: <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> I you saying
2: around, that. But my eyes are red. I'm like, <laughs> I'm <dumb. laughs> I just, just really thank you for your time, and I really look forward to building with you and your organization and the work that you do, partnering with you in some way, um, in Los Angeles and around the world. I just, I really look forward to speaking with you again. But thank you so much for everything you've brought to this conversation to my heart, to the hearts of everybody that's on here and the hearts of everybody that's going to listen. I really appreciate wow.
1: you. That's so kind. I'll tell you what, I love Americans so much because they say <laughs> what, like you guys to say what's on your heart, but us Brits are like, thanks for that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, oh. No, I appreciate that. Um, that's, that's very kind of you and uh, thank you for having me on here and further to, to what you're saying you guys are doing the right thing for sure in regards to men you know there's not there's not enough organizations out there that with a focus on men and i think it's perfect what you guys are doing
0: thank you so much <laughs> and and i do recommend um anybody that uh, you can get this on on m Am- like i got it on amazon breaking the silence and i i love the the whole um Term breaking the silence because it's it's always something that I've like struggled with the words when it when I first uh, came forward and and accepted what happened to me and and started telling my story, it's uh it's a great way to to coin that uh, term, and we really thank you Perry and it's it's amazing and I'm I'm very thankful to um, to count you as a friend as well we've uh we've we've hung out in London yes, uh, we have, recently. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and had very serious conversation. I'm surprised the uh, waiters, they, they did kind of stay away from us. I think at one point right. because we were so intense. That's but it. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your honesty, your passion, and your healing journey with all of us. It's been uh, it's been incredible. And is there any last thing you would like to say to your fellow survivors?
3: A quick, quick, quick interjection here, oh, right before Perry says okay. something uh, to tell the survivors. Just a quick little blur. quick answer to this one. We have someone in the messages who's saying, I've been living in silence <clears throat> for so long. Now I haven't been allowed, been able to allow myself to break free. How can I do this now? And what does this matter? And just a quick little two minute answer.
0: Well, that, that goes well with what the question,
3: yeah. Last little blurb to survivors and we'll uh can close out from there i think
1: let's start off with the second question in regards to why does it matter because one you're on this call for a reason right which means that we've got the concept of an inner child and i think a lot of times when we've we've been through it, especially because it might be different ages that abuse and assault happen but especially if we've been abused as a kid like me then living in silence they so, that 12-year-old Perry was trapped into here and he was trying to be heard, right? And it caused implications. And I might find my place myself in situation like, how did I end up here on this call? Because I was led here. Energetically, sure. In a child, sure. And I think for you, why, why should you speak out today? Why do you not just live the rest of your life in silence? Because there is no way, if there is any type of discomfort or pain that you have, living in silence it gets worse okay because it leads to coping mechanisms it leads to a path of self-sabotage if you're not already already on it and i think that the consequences of breaking the silence the consequences of living in silence far outweigh the consequences of breaking the silence okay so and also we're human beings that need to share that's it we we have to share right we can't live with dark memories that we are suppressing so in regards to why should you, well, because what will end up happening is you'll reach emotional freedom. And that tends to only happen when you start to speak out because you're not lugging this absolute heavy ass boulder on your back for what feels like all of your life. And in regards to how do you do that, how should you speak out? Um, I haven't had a look in the chat, so I don't know if you've done any form of that in the chat, but start with yourself. OK, so it could be sitting there. It could be writing on a piece of paper. It could be sitting there. It could be journaling. It could be writing a poem. It could be, it's going to be a random one, but it could be clay molding. Sounds a bit odd, right? But when you're sitting there and you are molding, for example, a cup, you're allowing, if you, if you bring yourself energetically to the place of what happened, you're allowing these emotions that you've had stored within you for so long to flow through you making this cup. And at the end, you then have a physical representation of your story. Right, you know it. No, it doesn't matter about anybody else. So I would start small steps of breaking the silence to yourself until you get to a point where maybe you can come onto a call like this, and or you can reach out to somebody from Voices Beyond Assault, and you, maybe you can speak to them, or you can speak to a fellow survivor. Uh, and also something else that's interesting. I don't. Know, I don't think you guys have it there. We in the UK, we've got the Samaritans. It's probably our biggest charity in the, in the UK and it's, it's essentially like if you're feeling suicidal, bad mental health, you give them a call, right? And they've got people all over the country. They are not allowed to give personal advice. They're not allowed to, right? They're essentially just a soundboard. And what's cool about that is, is that acts as a way of that person to break the silence because they're telling somebody on the other end, but they're not getting any type of feedback, right? That, which then could lead to something that's negative. And I think that's, telling somebody another survivor that's on this call here about what happened is there's going to be they're going to understand it and uh, just to back that up you know i have a facebook group uh, um, the power tribes and there's 2600 survivors in there the amount of people that join that group and share their story whether it's anonymously or their name attached and they say that my partner doesn't even know why on earth am i telling you guys here right why is because they're in a place where they feel like they belong and they're not going to be judged and they're not going to feel shame. And all it takes is just that first step. So I urge you in whatever way that makes you at least comfortable it's an interesting word, but at least a little bit comfortable to do it. Just that first step. Then I definitely urge you to do that. Not think about the end result, but just that first step. Walk as far as you can see is a, is a saying that I like to use.
0: Yeah. Many of us uh, on this caller uh, and, and Laura and I and Brianna are also members of uh the Rain Speakers Bureau and a lot of the audience as well, I know, uh, Rain is a uh, Rape Abuse Incest National Network. And we, um, we they have a, a hotline as well uh, that uh, that is available for people. Amazing.
3: Perry, last question. I promise we'll let you go. Oh, that's okay. Um, Last question, we promise. What, what does it mean for you? You know, we're part of this organization. Our name is Voices Beyond Assault. We're trying to be a voice beyond assault past all of this. And we think you've exemplified that a lot. So just as a nice little closing cap to this, what does it mean to you to be a voice beyond assault? It means that
1: it means that I've come to a place where I'm not what happened to me. And it means that I'm now in a place where I can use what happened to me as a way to project my voice for other people to help them get to the same place as well.
0: That's very good. Kind of that
1: was
3: brilliant, right? <laughs> no, but yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely how I feel about it. Well, Perry, thank you so, so much. I think I speak for everyone in this audience when we say we... Thank you so, so much for joining our program today, for your passion, for your honesty, for your efforts, for all the work that you're doing, your charismatic demeanor, your British slang. We love it all. It's been amazing. It's been (laughs) such a joy to be here, and we are so excited for everything that you will continue to do in the future. And I want to thank everyone who participated also. You guys have been such an amazing Uh, just dropping messages in the chat, being able to provide support for each other, being able to just come to something that is survivor-oriented and say, hey, there are people who are caring, who want to listen, who want to be here. And we hope that you found this conversation enlightening and comforting. Um, Please look for our announcements for our upcoming programs as well.
0: And Perry, I'm just... So happy to call you a friend, and um, I'm so happy that uh, you are leading the way, you and Lord, that we have young people like you that are leading the way uh, for survivors and and, and and helping victims become survivors, and I just so appreciate you.
1: No, thank you.
3: Yeah. Thanks again to everyone. We hope that you are just comfortable to go out from here and to all of us to be a voice of yourself thank you so much and we look forward to seeing you again next month bye-bye
0: thank you for joining us today for this important discussion for more information about this program and other programs from the men of voices beyond assault please go to our website at www.voicesbeyondassault.org if you found this podcast helpful and we hope you did, please let us know by liking it below. And to all of you survivors out there, remember you are not alone and together we heal. Thank you don't say too late tomorrow late tomorrow.